Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7, we continue our study through the Old Testament. And here in Judges 7, remember what we're going to see here is the war footing of Gideon. This is Gideon, Gideon on offense. And, you know, it's so important to remember, to know, and to understand that there's always prerequisite training for the warrior where the warrior isn't a warrior yet, but becomes one. And that's what I love so much about Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7. Because, you know, do you remember our study in Joshua 1? In the book of Joshua chapter 1, which was very difficult for, for from my perspective, it was difficult because there are so many things that I, I, I want every single one of us to grasp and not just lean on, but stand on in these promises that we have in the word of God, these promises from the Lord. But understand, when the Lord makes these promises to Joshua in Joshua 1, you hit the rewind button in the life of Joshua and you see, wait a second, Joshua was a different animal way back in the day. I mean, when Israel was defiled, who wasn't? Just like we say with Paul, he's not like the average bear. Neither was Joshua. What about Chloe? She's not like the average bear. You see, these choices were made long before. It's lives. When a heart, when a mind says, you know what? Not just as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But as for me, I will serve the Lord where you say, as for me, I will serve the Lord. And it's so powerful because we see these prerequisites for the warrior. You see, and the same with Deborah, you know, you see Deborah and then what a, 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 a beautiful example of a warrior that we see. But at the same time, I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember our studies through the book of Acts? And how we would mention the saints on offense, you see? And, you know, when you look at this war footing of the warrior and the prerequisite training involved for the warrior, I mean, now I'm not speaking about like, you know, going to the gym and lifting weights and getting strong according to the flesh, but I absolutely am talking about Gumnaso in the Greek, gumnaso. It's what the Bible tells us is a spiritual gym, if you will. Paul mentions it quite a bit, actually. I mean, in Judges 6, look at the preparation of Gideon before the fight in chapter 7 to address idolatry. And knowing that God looks at the heart, who did he go to? You see, he went to he went to Gideon. He saw the heart of Gideon. All of this before the fight that we see in Judges 7. But let me ask you a question. What about your heart? Right here, right now, what about your heart? I wonder. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. My beautiful brothers and sisters in Christ, I wonder. And so we start our study here in Judges 7. Then Jerubel, that is Gideon. Now, this is a name given to him by his dad. Now, I don't like that. I don't like that. 
I mean, it translates in the Hebrew, you know, Jerubel, it translates as uh, let Baal contend. And you can see it as seemingly okay. And, you know, I can understand that. So, you know, so, you know, let Baal contend. That's the moniker that was given to Gideon by his dad. I mean, but, in, you know, you read Judges 6 and you see what Gideon has done in destroying the altar of Baal is to say, hey, Joash. Joash is the dad of Gideon, the, you know, who, who gave the moniker to his son, Jerubel. But to go to Joash and say, hey, Joash, your son who destroyed this altar of Baal, your son is helping you be right with God. You are the one who forgot God, Joash. You are the one who forgot the Lord, dear old dad, but your son didn't. And you see here in the word, then Jerubel, that is Gideon. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Harod. So that camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Mora in the valley. Now, remember, th there was this coalition formed against the Israelites. And you, we're in Judges 7, but you have to remember Judges 6 too, because there's a lot of overlap. You know, I say you have to remember Judges 6, but you have to remember the entirety from all the way from Judges 1, where you see a series of events where the Lord becomes forgotten. The Lord becomes forgotten. And it's sad. But the Lord raises up judges. Male, female, young, old. And, you know, Deborah, I'm so in love with Deborah. Gideon, I'm in love with Gideon. Ehud, I'm in love with Ehud. And this coalition formed against the Israelites. Israel was in the, you know, they forgot the Lord. And then we see in chapter 6, we see the oppression that ensues. Then who is it that the Lord sees? Who is it that the Lord approaches? Who is it that is tasked by the Lord? Notice in verse 2, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many. I love this so much. I mean, carnally speaking, you'd think more numbers would be a good thing to fight an opposing force. I mean, you know, like carnally speaking, you know, we, we have more people, so we increase the chance of victory, you know, carnally speaking. And that would be the carnal approach where logic and intellect may suggest this is the better approach. But for saints, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. God tells Gideon, your numbers are too much. And look at verse 2. The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself. Very interesting what we see here. Where if you take these multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of Israel, where if there's victory, they might say, look at us, look at us. We won. We won the fight. We're so awesome. We're so strong. We had our victory because of our strength. 
But the same could be said at the individual level too. Oh, look at me, look at me, look how awesome I am, look how cool I am, and oh, I'm so victorious. Now remember, the Bible teaches that is, it is the meek who will inherit the earth. You see? Notice, when glory is claimed for self, look at what God says. Look at what God says. He is the one who says it's against me. You see, in verse 2, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, the Lord is speaking to Gideon now. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. Now, you want to know what really saddens me and breaks my heart? It's when Christians think a work of God involves numbers. Because biblically, God uses few. You see? Oh, look at the the church. It has 5,000 people. God is at work. Oh, look at the church. We have 10,000. God is at work. Oh, look at this church. It has 500 people. God is at work. But this church over here that has 20 people, God's not there. This church over there that has 10 people, God's not there. This church over there that has five people, God's not there. But look at us, we have a thousand people. Look at us, we have 10,000 people. God is with us. Surely God is with us. And it hurts. It saddens me. It kills me. Because God uses few. Part of the blueprints for war involves fewer in number. Biblically, you see it all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. But even then, there are specifics to criteria. And here, you know, the Lord is telling Gideon, giving giving him these blueprints. Whoever is fearful and afraid. Look at what happens. Look at what happens. In verse 3, whoever is fearful, fearful and afraid. Let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. You see, very specific formula to these blueprints. Very specific. Whoever is fearful and afraid, okay, go home. Go home. Fearful and afraid, okay, go home. 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. You see? 22,000 left. And, you know, it's kind of sad. I shouldn't say it's kind of sad. It's really sad. But, I mean, one could say at least they're honest. I mean, whoever is fearful and afraid in 22,000 say, okay, I'm out. Why? Because I'm fearful and afraid. Okay, I'm out. But picture the 10,000 who remain. I mean, they might not have been afraid when they were larger in number. I mean, you know. I'm no mathematician, but 22,000 and 10,000 is 32,000. 
they might have, you know, had had more confidence, m- m- maybe a, 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 a level of courage when their numbers were larger. But now they're fewer. Now there's just 10,000 remaining. And you see these 10,000, they decide to stay. But then, whoa, it's maybe their courage isn't what it used to be when they were 32,000. I mean, you'd be surprised who backs out of a fight. And I don't want to necessarily give carnal examples, but you'd be surprised who backs out of a fight. I mean, sometimes with carnal eyes, you might look, okay, this guy's like a huge guy. His his muscles are huge. His neck is the size of a tree trunk. And it's like, okay, this guy is like, I'm not going to mess with him. You'd be surprised who backs out of a fight. And you'd be surprised who is stands up to a fight, stands up in a fight. You'd be surprised. I remember one time I saw on the news there was a guy who was wielding a knife threatening people. And all these guys were walking on the sidewalk and they were like afraid and they were, you know, you know, I get it. I understand the guy has a knife. I mean, you know, he it wasn't just like walking around carrying a knife. No, he was like threatening people with the knife. And this little old lady walks up to him. This little old lady walks up to him and gets in his face. And I thought like, oh my goodness, you got all these men, you know, the big strapping men, they're strong and this and that. And they're like little chickens. And yet you have this old lady who walks right up to the guy. You'd be surprised who backs out of a fight. And you'd be shocked who stands. And so we see here this 10,000 remain. And in verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, and I love this so much. I mean, look who the Lord is speaking to. Look who the Lord is speaking to, especially we're in Judges 7, but especially with the, the knowledge from our study from Judges 6. I mean, everybody would love to hear from God. Everybody would love to hear from God, but... Not everybody loves to tear down idols. Who is it that loves to tear down idols? I mean, Gideon destroyed the altar of Baal. You see? And the image that was constructed as well. Gideon tore it down. But you hear somebody today, oh, I, I, you know, I, 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 I would love to speak to the Lord. I would love for the Lord to speak to me. It's like, okay, well, what's up with the sex? What's up with the pornography? What's up with the crack? What's up with the alcohol? You see, I love it so much when we have these examples in the word of God for not just for our admonition, but for our exhortation as well. Because, you know, when you walk on this narrow path, you're going to feel so alone, so alone. But when you understand formula, you're going to realize like, wait a second, this is easy. Very intricate, but it's still easy. 
Thus fulfills what our Lord himself says. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are his words. I'm just the messenger. But those are his words. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And people are going to make fun of you. Oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. You say, why do you call me legalist? Oh, because you don't want to get drunk with me. That's why you're a legalist. Oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. Well, why? Why are you calling me a legalist? Oh, because you don't want to see the strippers with me. You're such a legalist because you don't want to get baked with me. You don't want to cook spoons with me. You don't want to do the lines together. You're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. She's like, what? All I want is for my life. This is how you respond. You know, all I want is for my life to be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. And when you choose to do that, which is a choice, God doesn't make robots. When you choose to do that, you're going to find yourself alone. Even among Christians, you're going to find yourself alone. Elijah found himself alone, but the Lord spoke to me. He says, Elijah, there are 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000, you feel alone. But the Lord sees and he comforts Elijah and says, Elijah, you're not alone. Elijah felt alone, but the Lord gave him comfort. Elijah, you're not alone. You see? And in these last days, as we get deeper and deeper and deeper into the events of the last days, you're going to feel alone. But just as the Lord says to Elijah, there are 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. He sees you're not alone. You see, and what's so powerful about Gideon, not just Gideon, but Deborah, Joshua, Phineas, all these people, male, female, young, old. And you start to realize, like, wait a second. You know, you feel alone in this world, but look at all these heroes of faith. I mean, when the Lord becomes forgotten. What does Deborah say? You know, not on my watch, not with me. As as for me, I'm not going to forget the Lord. You see, who is it that the Lord speaks to? I tell you one thing, the ones who the Lord speaks to, they tear down idols. Oh, but this is Old Testament. Gideon, you know, he tore down Baal and that's Old Testament and we don't have Baals anymore. Really? We don't have Molex anymore. Really? We don't have Asterisk anymore. Really? Because the God of Molech is alive and well. The offering of children. Abortion. The God of Molech is alive and well. Or, you know, Molech, he is alive and well. You see? But who are the ones that tear down idols? Who are the ones who say, as for me, I will serve the Lord. You see, I will serve the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, who also has a son. His name is Jesus. Until the seed, remember? Because not everybody loves to tear down idols. 
I mean, you see, look at the, 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 the state of Corinth. Look at the state of Corinth. When Paul is the one who says, I mean, I say Paul is the one, but don't forget those in Chloe's household who wrote the letter to Paul to say, hey, you know, there's some major problems here in Corinth, Paul. And so Paul responds and writes the letter to the churches and in, in, in the, the church in Corinth. And he says, listen, your rejoicing is not a good thing. Why? Because of the sex, the extortion, the alcohol, the works of the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, not of the spirit. And he says, your rejoicing is not a good thing. So what is the remedy, Paul? What does Paul say? He says, okay, separate. Speaking to the remnant, he says, okay, separate. I meant, I don't know the exact population of Corinth. But what if it started out with 22,000? And Paul says, separate. And it's 10,000 that now leaves. In the Old Testament and New Testament, and even today, there are remnants. There is a remnant. You see? It's not the whole. But it is the remnant. And among the remnant... There are some who feel super, super, super alone, just like Elijah, just like Jeremiah, Hannah. And the Lord provides comfort to these people, male, female, young, old. I mean, remember when the Lord was silent, when there was no widespread revelation from the Lord, who did he speak to? Did he go to the high priest? No, he did not. Why? The high priest was compromised. Wrong formula. Who did the Lord speak to? Who had ears to hear? Samuel, little Samuel. You see? And we see here in verse 4, it's the Lord who says to Gideon, he says, the people are still too many. So you have 10,000 who remain, and the Lord says to Gideon, it's still too much. And then he says, bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Now, I've had these conversations with people where it's like, you know, why, why, why does God test why does God test people? Oh, he's so mean. He's so mean. Why does he test people? Now, remember several weeks back when, you know, I mentioned the, the boat races at the creek from several weeks ago. Testing, it's not a bad thing at all. I mean, it's actually rather beautiful. The question is, what is the medal of a man? What is the medal of a woman? What is the medal of a boy? What is the medal of a girl? What is it? The Lord sees. And the Lord is the one in verse four, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you. The same shall go with you. You see what's happening here? God is choosing and showing Gideon because he says, you know, I will test them for you there in verse four. And God is the one who's choosing you see, there's a reason why we stress formula. 
formula for the saint, both baby and mature. I shouldn't say both baby and mature, but baby and mature and everybody in between. Or, you know, baby and deadly, the good deadly, and everybody in between. There is a formula for sanctuary. There is a formula for overseers. And when you have it, very rare in the last days, but when the formula is right in a fellowship where there is love feast, ecclesia koinonia, when you have it, stay there. Because the last days fight, the last days battle, it is not coming. It's already here. And it's going to get worse. Satan, he's a great fisherman. Don't forget, Satan is, is a fisherman too, and he's pretty good at it. And I don't, mean, I don't mean good like, you know, he's good, but I mean pretty effective in being a fisherman. And he lures with candy. He never tells anybody, hey, you know, walk with me, and I'm going to kick you in the face every five minutes. No, because no one would follow him. He lures with candy. And he fights tooth and nail to prevent koinonia and ecclesia and he is very effective but you know what we also fight you and me we also fight and we're also fishermen fishers of men and women young and old and so the lord says here like you know I will, I will test them for you there. And then it will be in verse 4 that of whom I say to you, this one shall go, the same shall go with you. You see, God's choosing. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. Now, you know, what about the perspective of the, of the 10,000 where, you know, you know, we're just going to get some water to drink. They think in their minds, you know, we're just going to get some water to drink, you know. Oh, look, we're the, of the elect, you know, we're awesome. The other 22,000, they were too chicken for the fight. They're not tough like us. You see, I mean, when you put things in perspective here of this breakup of people, they started with 32,000. Okay, 22,000 were afraid. At least they were honest. Okay, you're afraid. Go home. This fight is not for you. Go home. So now you have the 10,000 who remained and you think, okay, you know, you know, we're the fighters now. We're thirsty. We're going to go to the water. We're going to get a drink. But to Gideon, to whom God has given very specific instructions on what to look for. Gideon in verse 5 brings the people down to the water and it was there. And the Lord said to Gideon in verse 5. Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. You see? And so, you know, the, you look at verse 5 and you're like, wait, wait a second. These are kind of odd instructions. To one group, they lap water like a dog and it seems weird. But remember, dogs drink while standing. Dogs drink while standing. And then you have this other group and they don't stand. Because I mean, you know, in, in, in verse 5, it is written, whoever laps, who, uh, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a, dog's, as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. And then you have another group, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. 
And so you have these two groups on, on, on one side, it's like, okay, these are the guys who are standing. And then you have another that, you know, they get down to the knees to drink. And you see something very interesting here. You have 10,000 who go in. They're at the water. And the Lord gave specific instructions to Gideon on what to look for. In verse 6. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. Whoa. Whoa. I mean, of the original 32,000, which is, you know, the 22,000 plus 10,000, but of this original 32,000, only 300 remain. Only 300 remain. Now, Carnally speaking, 32,000 seems a lot better for a fight. But remember, that's carnally speaking. What is it about these 300 fighters? What is it about these 300 fighters that make them different? I mean... You've heard, you know, it said before, you've heard me say before, you know, how I wish I could segregate, you know, certain groups and, you know, on, you know, get a big warehouse that could house like a million, billion, bajillion people. And I wish I can get a big warehouse that can house a bajillion people and, you know, have them like segregated where, you know, I could speak to women. I could speak to males and females. I could speak to women. I could speak to girls. I could speak to men. I could speak to boys. I could speak to teenagers. I could speak to married people. I could speak to old people. I could speak to elders, deacons, pastors, overseers. This is one where I wish I could speak to pastors. This is one where I wish I could speak to pastors. Because we'd go deeper on this. And perhaps in due time, the Lord will grant me opportunity. Perhaps. The original 32,000. And only 300 remain. I mean, do you remember our studies about spiritual warfare in Deuteronomy chapter 20? I mean, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to those studies. Go back and listen to our studies about spiritual warfare. Wrong formula? Go home. That's, I mean, that, that kind of boils it down. You know, the, if the formula is wrong in a guy and the formula is wrong in a female, okay, go home. I mean, in the Old Testament, it was the, the, the men. Remember, in Christ, there's no male, female. But then I mean, you look at Deborah and it's like, whoa, I mean, she's, she's a pretty, she's a pretty great warrior. And that's an understatement too. Wrong formula, go home. Right formula, weapons hot. Weapons hot. Straight up. 
weapons hot. And here in Judges 7, the fighters are 9.9%. Judges 7, 32,000 to 300 who remain, that's 0.9 of the original number of people. 0.9%. Talk about remnant. And the Lord says, by the 300 men who left, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. This is verse 7. Let all the other people, every man to his place, go home. You see? In verse 8, so the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. You know what I love about this? I mean, you'd think that since, okay, we're a smaller number of people now, instead of the 32,000, now we're 300. And you would think You would think that this smaller number of people, that they'd be loaded with weapons and armament in preparation, but I love it so much because we don't see that. They have their provisions, yes. Some translations say victuals, which is like their foods, and they have their provisions and their trumpets or shofar. They have their provisions and they have their shofars in their hands. And he sent away all the rest of Israel in verse 8. Every man to his tent. Okay, go home. And he re- and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. In verse 9. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. Beautiful. Very, very beautiful. Victory. Victory. And this victory, it's before the fight. The Lord says, I've delivered it into your hand. This is before the the fight hasn't happened. I mean, according to the flesh, the fight hasn't happened. But according to the spirit, you see, wait a second. Gideon, he's a different guy. And this victory before the fight, it's the same today. There is absolutely promises of victory and promises for victory in the word of God. Absolutely. Before the fight. But whether or not it's applicable to you and me, that's another ballgame. I mean, it's why we stress formula. It's why we stress formula. Have you ever seen a Christian where they're like, oh, look, I'm victorious in Christ. I'm victorious in Christ. I'm victorious in Christ because the Bible says I'm victorious in Christ. Come on, let's go do crack. You see, there's a disconnect. Oh, the Bible says I'm victorious in Christ. So therefore, I'm victorious in Christ. Therefore, let's go see the prostitutes. Whoa, there's a disconnect. You see? Oh, the Bible says I'm victorious in Christ and I stand on that and boom, I'm victorious in Christ. Come on, let's go get baked tonight. Whoa, there's a disconnect. It's why we stress formula. And we stress it a lot. The formula's got to be right. Because there are promises in the word of God, Holy Scripture, And the word became flesh. There are promises that Jesus gives us. Gives to you, gives to me. 
And when the formula is right, these are promises that we can absolutely not just stand on, but stand in. Promises of the Lord. But when the formula is wrong, it's not a pretty picture because in Old Testament and New Testament, when the formula is wrong, you don't see victory. You see the opposite. You see defeat. Remember when, you know, the Lord says, you know, hey, go fight the Canaanites. You know, I, I did Egypt. You know, I'll do Egypt. You do Canaan. So the Lord, from the Lord's perspective, okay, I did Egypt. Now it's your turn. There, go, go to, you know, go, go to, go fight Canaan. Go fight the Canaanites. Promises of victory. I've delivered them to you. And so what happens? The, the people come back, you know, the, the recon team, they come back and they say, whoa, these guys are huge. These, I know the Lord told us to go and fight the Canaanites, but these Canaanites, you know, they're, they're not like us. They're like 10 of us. The stack, you know, one guy is like 10 of you know, these guys are huge. Their arms are like tree trunks. Their necks are like, you know, five tree trunks. Their legs are huge. These guys are giants. And so what happened? Fear spread to the camp. Fear spread to the camp of Israel. And then the Lord responded and says, the Lord says to Moses, okay, okay. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. And the Lord says, okay, because of your disobedience, this 11-day journey, this 11-day journey, now it's going to be 40 years. You see, the Lord disciplines, the Lord chastises those whom he loves. Instead of 11 days, now it's going to be 40 years. And then Moses told that to the people. You know what the people did? They said, okay, we weighed our options. We weighed our options. Before, you know, we saw these Canaanites. They were big guys. We didn't want to fight. And, you know, and they even said it's to protect our children. You know, we want to save the women and children. Oh, you know, we're doing it to help. We're doing it for the greater good because we're, we're helping the, the young ones. We're helping the little ones. You see, kind of like candy coating a little bit, trying to uh, like gloss over things and say, oh, look, you know, we're, we're doing it's for a good cause. We're saving the women and children. You know, we're the we're the men, you know, and, you know, we're, we're, we don't want to fight because we want we want our women and children to be safe. So it's 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 for a good cause. And then Moses says, OK, 11 days, the Lord, you know, thus saith the Lord. Now this 11 days, it's going to be 40 years. And the people there, you know, they weigh their options and they're like, OK, we would prefer 11 days instead of the 40 years. And we prefer the 11 days. So now we're going to go fight against the Canaanites. I know they're big, but yeah, I don't want 40 years. So now I'm going to go fight against the Canaanites. And you know what the Lord says to Moses? The Lord says to Moses, he says, tell the children of Israel, tell them not to fight. Tell them not to fight. You see? Did the Lord change his mind? Nope. The, the people changed their heart. You see, the people are the ones who changed their heart because if the formula was right in the heart of the people, okay, go to Canaan. They would, you know, the Lord says, go fight Canaanite. Okay, they would go to fight Canaanites. But the formula is wrong because now it's a different ballgame because now there's fear in the heart. But now they're cherry picking promises, okay? I don't want the 40 years, so now I'll go fight. Now they're starting to cherry pick. 
And the Lord sees the heart. And he says to Moses, tell them not to go fight. Because if they go to fight, they're going to die. There will be casualties. Oh, but the Lord promised to deliver us. The Lord promised to deliver us. The, the, deliver, the, 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 to deliver us. And the Lord promises victory. And so they go to fight the Canaanites. And they have casualties. But the Lord promised victory. The Lord promised victory and we're suffering casualties. You know, Satan, Satan loves that. Because Satan can say, oh, you know, God said this and it didn't happen. Therefore, God is a liar. Therefore, God is fake. Therefore, God is a fairy tale. But Satan will never say, you know, it's because the formula was wrong in you. Satan will never say that. The prophet says it. Isaiah says it. Jeremiah says it. Amos says it. The vessels of the Lord, they say. Remember, Isaiah is the one. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. Where, you know, in the Old Testament, in, 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 in Torah, how the, the sacrifices, what the, the, the commands of the Lord, according to the Old Covenant, these are things that are pleasing to the Lord. But in Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah, the, the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah that these things are not good. What happened? Did the Lord change his mind? No, the people changed their heart. You see? I mean, you look in the case of Paul where, I mean, those in Chloe's household, they knew something's wrong here in Corinth. Something's wrong. There's the work of the flesh is all over the place. The sex, the alcohol, the extortion, it's all over the place. What do they do? They have their home fellowship. Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. And then they write a letter to Paul. Hey, Paul, something's wrong here. Paul catches wind of it. And he responds and writes a letter. You see? And he writes a letter. It's so beautiful because he always refers to them as saints. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you guys are saints. Chapter 2, you guys are saints. Chapter 3, you're saints. You're babies, but you're saints. Chapter 4, you're saints. Chapter 5, okay, you're saints. But now we have to make a distinction. You're saints. In chapter 3, you're babies. So you're baby saints. Now we have to make the distinction of the baby saints. And the separation is this. There's a, a line of demarcation. The flesh. The works of the flesh. And that's the line of demarcation. Okay? Your babies, your saints, but your babies. Okay? Now, don't forget, milk is beautiful for babies. And Paul says, okay, you guys are saints, you're babies, but you're saints. Now, what's the line of demarcation? It's the works of the flesh, okay? So you guys are saints, okay? You're babies, okay? But let's look at the works. Let's look at the works. What do we see? Let's open up things. And do we see the works of the flesh? And do we see the works of the spirit, okay? Here's... A guy, here's a gal who's living in a manner where his life or her life is a sweet aroma unto the Lord. Okay, walking according to the Spirit. Here's another guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. Okay, that's the flesh. 
There's these lines of demarcation. And Paul says to the remnant, he says, okay, now separate from these people. You guys are saints. You guys are babies. But then when you look at the works of the flesh, Paul says, okay, now separate. You see? Separate. And then with that separation, which is difficult. I'm not trying to say like it's a piece of cake. Like just say, okay, you know, you've been my brother and sister. You've been my brothers and sisters for, you know, 20 years. Okay, bye-bye. No, that's hard. That's difficult. It's painful. But remember, our loyalty is to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the bridegroom. And so when we understand these lines of demarcation, looking at the fruit, the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of the flesh, the carnal nature. And don't forget, you know, in the case of Corinth, that was three years arrested development. Where, where in the world were the pastors? I mean, the pastors were there, but they were defunct. Where in the world were the pastors? Chloe knew. So she had her home fellowship. She knew. She knew that it is holy to submit to the pastor. But she also understood formula to where, you know, I cannot submit to this pastor. You know, I know that I, I, I submit to the pastor because he's uh, not just teaching me, but he's going to give an account. He watches out for my soul. But Chloe knew this guy, this defunct guy who has the pastor parking spot, who has the badge on his chest that says head pastor. Chloe knew I can't submit myself to this guy. This guy's a freak show. This guy's a freak show. Look, this Christian is having sex with his dad's wife and this pastor says nothing. This guy is doing the extortion and the pastor says nothing. The elders say nothing. Chloe knew that those pastors were defunct, and so she has her home fellowship. And in that home fellowship, predominantly women. And they write a letter to Paul. You see? The male covering. Paul, there's something wrong here. And Paul says, okay. I mean, I... I don't want to say Paul's heart was probably broken when he found out what was happening in Corinth. I know it was broken. I meant, you know, when you write with ink, you know, and it gets a little water drop on it and then the ink spreads. I wonder if that letter was barely even readable because his tears were just all over those pages of parchment. I meant to say, you know, separate. That's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing, not just to say, but it's not an easy thing to do. But remember, our loyalty is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if a defunct pastor, you know, if he wants to be defunct, that's on him. Don't follow. Chloe knew that. Don't follow. Look at, look at Alexander and Hymenaeus. Leaders. Leaders. In the church. And what did they do? 
they caused a huge problem. Not just a huge problem, but you know, of these, you know, of Sudadelphos, Paul says, you know, their mouths must be stopped. And he's not, when he writes to Titus, he's not saying, you know, go into town and beat them up. He says, go into town and present your case. Don't be silent. And the people will choose for themselves. Don't forget, those pastoral epistles, you know, the, the Timothys, the Titus, Philemon, those are one-on-one letters. This is Paul writing to Titus, Paul writing to Timothy, Paul writing to Philemon. It's the Lord who leaked those letters so that you and me can know what are the biblical qualifications for pastor, for overseer? What are the biblical qualifications? Why? So that me and you, so that we can know who is it that it is safe to submit to, that we can submit ourselves to a pastor who's going to watch out for our souls souls not just watch out for you know for my for my belly so i can have like a a nice sandwich no he's gonna watch out for my soul and so these pastoral epistles these letters were leaked by the lord captured in the canon of scripture holy scripture and so when the bible says yes submit to your pastor it's just not any willy-nilly guy, you know, any willy-nilly lady. There's a very specific formula. You see? And we stress formula on purpose. And we're going to continue stressing formula on purpose. Because there are absolutely passages of promises of victory. In the word of God, absolutely. You and me, we can stand on them. We can stand in them, not just lean on them, but stand on them. Promises of the Lord. But remember, there are effectuators. You see? When all of Israel was defiled, Joshua was not. When the Lord became forgotten, he didn't become forgotten with Deborah, with Ehud, with Gideon. They made their choice. And the Lord is reactionary. And the Lord is speaking to Gideon. Where he says here in verse 9 of Judges 7, it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down to the camp. Go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. You see, this is victory before the fight. And the Lord continues here in verse 10. He says to Gideon, remember, to Gideon. But if you are afraid to go down, very interesting. If you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. Now, remember, God is speaking to Gideon. Gideon is with the 300. Remember, there's 32,000, and now we're just at 0.9 that's left. 0.9 that's left, 300. And God is saying here, in the event you are afraid, 
Gideon, take Pura. Pura, your servant. You know what this is in the Hebrew? It's a child servant. It's a kid. It's a boy. To my young brothers and sisters in Christ. Because remember, in Christ, there is no male, female. To my young brothers and sisters in Christ, let no one, let no one, let no one despise your youth. I don't care. You might be five years old. You might be eight years old. You might be 12. You might be 15, 16. Let no one despise your youth. Formula's right. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. And I know kids, I know children who are dismissed by the adults. Spiritually speaking, there's a role reversal where it's the adults who are like babies and it's the kids who are like adults because the kids have more spiritual maturity. You see? Let no one despise your youth. And the Lord is saying, Gideon, in the event you're afraid to go down, go to the camp and take Purah with you, your servant. He's a boy. In verse 11, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then, notice in verse 11, he went down with Purah, his servant. You see, even Gideon, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Gideon, whom I love. Even Gideon needs some jumper cables in the area of courage. Who were the jumper cables? Who is it that were the jumper cables? His young servant named Purah. I love it. Again, to my young brothers and sisters in Christ, let no one despise your youth. I mean, I know young believers who have gifts of the Spirit. I know young believers who are doing a mighty work in the Lord in planting seeds. You say, oh, that's rubbish. They're just little kids. No, no, no. That carnal mindset is rubbish. Notice what happens here with Gideon. Then he went down to Purah his servant. Then he went down with Purah his servant to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. You see, they're going on a little recon mission, Gideon and Purah. They're going on a recon mission because the Lord says, listen, if you're afraid, verse 10, if you're afraid to go down, go down into the go to the camp of go down to the camp with Purah. And so now you have Purah and Gideon. You see, Gideon, okay, he's got a he's got a, 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 a little scare factor going on here. And Gideon goes with Purah, his servant. And they go to the outpost of the armed men of the camp. Now we see in verse 12. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as the locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. I mean, 
Picture this for a moment. You see this insane multitude of people and gear. I mean, the, 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 the camels were without number. I mean, you, know, you could put a lot of gear on the back of a camel, a camel. And you see this just multitude of people and, and they're ready for war. And the opposing force to this force, that this force that's like the sand, it's just 300. I mean, logically speaking, intellectually speaking, the 32,000 seems awfully nice about now. But remember, we walk by faith. We walk by faith. You have the opposing force to this multitude of the, in verse 12, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the people of the East. You have the opposing force to this multitude of people is just 300. That's it. It's just 300. You see? And then you have Gideon and Purah. They're going on a recon mission and they're, you know, going near this camp of the Midianites, Amalekites, and the people of these. It's a Midianite camp. And they're going on this recon mission because the Lord told them in verse 10, go to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. You see, we see in verse 13, and when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. So Gideon and Pura, they're on this recon mission. Gideon has got his little, there's this fear factor going on. He's a little afraid. And the Lord gave him blueprints. Listen, you need these jumper cables of courage. And God didn't say, you know, Gideon, you need these jumper cables of courage. So go to this big guy who can bench 600 pounds. Go to this big guy who can, he can, you know, he can lift up a bus. No. Go to, go to this little boy servant you have. Parah. Go with Pura. Go to the camp and hear what they say. This is from verse 10 and 11. And so they're on this recon mission, just a two-man team, Gideon and Pura. And what do they hear? There's this guy who's telling his dream to the guy that's next to him. Now remember, this is within earshot of the two-man recon team, Gideon and Pura. What they hear this guy saying about his dream, they can hear it. Gideon and Pura. And so what happens? In verse 13, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley and bread. Now, this is a big deal for the new covenant believer, for you and me. Because a loaf, a loaf of grain, grain bread is how it translates in the Hebrew, grain bread. Now, grain being the word, remember our study in Leviticus, bread being Jesus, remember when Jesus says, I am the bread. And so here you have this Midianite, this Midianite who had a dream and he's telling his dream. And in this Midianite dream, we see grain and bread entering this particular camp of the Midianites. And we see here in verse 13, when the the guy is revealing his dream and with an earshot of the recon team, two-man recon team of you know, Gideon and Pura. Pura's little jumper cables to Gideon. 
In verse 13, to my surprise, in this dream that's being revealed or being spoken, to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. I mean, some dream where green bread causes damage to Midian. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Whoa. Now, not only do we see the dream, not only do we see the interpretation, but we also see confirmation. Now, it's very, very, very important to note in verse 11. God told Gideon to go and hear what they say. It's very important to remember that. Because sometimes Christians get into whole heaps of trouble because they heed the donkey saying, well, it worked for Balaam. They heed the Midianites saying, well, it worked for Gideon. They heed the Amalekites saying, well, it worked for Gideon. But Gideon here, he was told by God to hear what they say. And it wasn't to heed them. It was to confirm something that God had already revealed to Gideon. And notice, Gideon, Gideon wasn't alone. He had Purah with him. And I don't say this to instill doubt on anybody. But I do say it to buttress Wisdom to those who have wisdom. Understand, Satan fights dirty. You and me, we must be wise. Satan fights dirty. I mean, the exhortation of Scripture is to be wise as the serpent. And so notice, this revealing of the dream is written in verse 14 that this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Verse 15, and so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. Shacha in the Hebrew. Shacha. You know what that is? Gideon, you know what he did? He laid prostrate in worship. He's on a recon mission and he's worshiping. I mean, I don't want to add to the scriptures, but I venture to think there was some repenting involved as well. I mean, verse nine, God already told him in verse 10, but if you are afraid, the Lord told him, but if you are afraid, notice God knows what he's dealing with. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. And let us not forget that the Helper, capital H, Paracletus, the Holy Spirit, it's from the Lord. Don't forget the Helper that you and me need. It's from the Lord. And I shouldn't say it's from the Lord. He is from the Lord. Jesus, remember when Mary was holding on to Jesus? Jesus says, don't, don't hold on to me. 
You think, whoa, that's mean. She's just trying to hold on to you. She loves you. You say, whoa, that's mean. No, 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 no. It's not. We cannot think carnally. The Lord says, Mary, don't hold on to me. But he also gives the reason, you know, like, you know, remember when, you know, remember when I said that I was going to send the helper? Well, I haven't yet ascended to my father, Mary. So listen, you got to let go of me, Mary. I mean, picture how hard that must have been. I mean, to be in the sandals of Mary, holding on to Jesus, holding, holding, holding on to Jesus. And then letting go. Picture how difficult that must have been. But yet in obedience and understanding and remembering the promises of God that yes, he would ascend to the father, his father, our father, hallowed be his name and send the helper, the Holy Spirit, not at it, him, the spirit of the Lord. And she lets go of him. You see, the Holy Spirit is from the Lord. Sent down from the Lord. And is the Lord. Not by might, not by strength, not not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit. By my Spirit, saith the Lord. I mean, this is an odd perspective that we see here on in, in the, the Midianite camp. And with earshot, you have two men, two guys. Well, two Two males, you know, you have Gideon and 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 and, uh, and uh, 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 Pura, the boy servant, beautiful, beautiful boy servant. I mean, you know, the Lord says in verse ten, if you're afraid, you know, speaking to Gideon, Gideon, if you're afraid, take Pura with you. Pura, beautiful jumper cables, and you have this recon mission, and. Gideon and Pura, they hear the dream. They hear the interpretation of the of the dream. They're in earshot of this the the Midianites and this opposing force, which has multitudes and multitudes of people, and they're just three hundred. And what does Gideon do? He worships. He worships. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I mean, if if you do this on a two man recon team, according to Adam, you're gonna die. And I don't mean by the bad guys, you're going to die. But according to Christ, worship, worship. There are moments in scripture where worship seems crazy for the particular moment. I mean, this is one of them. It's like they're on a recon team. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're within earshot of things that are being said by the opposing force. And the opposing force is multitudes and multitudes, multitudes like, like, the, like, like the, the sand on the seashore. And Gideon is going to worship. I mean, it seems inappropriate. But it is entirely appropriate. I mean, we see it. These moments in scripture where it's like, well, you know, you know, now's not a good time. But when in reality, it's the perfect time. It happens with Moses, with Joshua, with Gideon, with Paul. It happens with the godly. You see? I mean, there's moments in scripture where we see that, but there's moments in our own lives where we see that. Where people think you're crazy. Why are you praying and worshiping now? This is no time to worship. 
Let me tell you something. Every second of every day is a time to worship and worship the Lord. Here in verse 15, Gideon with his young servant, they returned to the camp. It says in verse 15, he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. In verse 16, then he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers or translates in the Hebrew as lamps inside these empty pitchers or jars. In verse 17, and he said to them, look at me and do likewise. You see? Gideon as a pattern here. Look at me and do likewise. Gideon as a pattern. The Bible tells us that it is the Lord who has certain people and uses certain people as a pattern for emulation. There's nothing wrong with Gideon as a pattern. Nothing wrong with Joshua as a pattern. Nothing wrong with Deborah as a pattern. Purah as a pattern. Paul as a pattern. Chloe as a pattern. Little Timmy as a pattern. But Korah as a pattern? Now he's got problems. Now we've got problems. When Korah is the pattern, now we got problems. Himenaeus as a pattern? Now we got problems. Alexander is a pattern? Now we got problems. Because Korah, Himenaeus, Alexander, they can never be patterns. You know why? I mean, I know that there are plenty of Patterns of Korah, Himenaeus, and Alexander today. And you hear me say, like, you know, they, they can never be patterns. And it begs the question, well, we, we see these patterns. They can never be patterns, which is a choice. You cannot follow such people. That's why we stress formula. You cannot follow Korah. Many people follow Korah. Many people followed Korah in the account in scripture. Many people followed Korah. You know what happened? They died with Korah. Many people followed him and You know what happened to them? They abandoned Paul. To follow Alexander as the pattern. When Paul was the pattern. Not to deify Paul. People tell me all the time, oh, you, you deify Paul, you deify Paul. No. But Christ in Paul, that's a different ballgame. Paul's a dead guy. He says it, his own admission, it is no longer I who live. By his own admission, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see? Hymenaeus is a pattern. Hymenaeus, do you see Christ in Hymenaeus? Do you see Christ in Alexander? You see? But you see Christ in Paul. You see Christ in Chloe. You see Christ in Priscilla. You see Christ in Philemon. You see? The Lord has these beautiful people as patterns for emulation. Emulation. 
but you and me. With the knowledge of Scripture, which is a gift of the Spirit, we can identify, okay, there's a pastor, but he wants to do his crack. Okay, he's not, he's not a good pattern. You see? Here's a pastor over here, but he wants to do his the, 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 the prostitutes, and he wants to do the sex and the drugs. Okay, bad pattern. Don't follow. But there are already people following such a person. Now you know why the Lord is long-suffering. Long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. You see? In verse 17, it is Gideon who says, Look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. Oh, and the leaders lead. Remember this study we had several weeks ago with Deborah, the Song of Deborah. Oh, and the leaders lead. I love this so much because you see Gideon, he's, he's not in the rear with the gear. He's not saying, you know, here, hey guys, here's the battle plan. You know, it's just 300. We were 32,000, but now we're 300. And he's not saying, hey, listen, here's the battle plan. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm, to, I'm, you know, here's the battle plan. You go and I'm just going to stay right here and chill. No, you don't see that. You don't see him in the rear with the gear. He's saying, follow me. We're going to go handle business. And you, you shall do as I do. You see? He says in verse 8, When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Whoa. Whoa. I love this. I meant the Midianite dream. The interpreter said the sword of Gideon. You know what Gideon says? He says, no, it's the sword of the Lord. As for me, I'm wielding it. The sword of the Lord. Verse 18, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. What about you and me today? What about you and me? There's a very specific formula for wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's very easy, but very intricate. I mean, it just so happens we're just wrapped up our study in the book of Hebrews, but remember Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12? Remember? The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If you've been walking with us for a while, our study through 2 Corinthians, because in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it is Paul who says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I mean, do you ever see Christians say they're going to enter a spiritual fight? And then like, you know, 10 minutes later, they're cussing a guy out. 
Oh, look, I'm going to go talk to this guy about Christ. Pray for me, brother. Pray for me, sister, because I'm going to go talk to this person. And, oh, yeah, it's, it's a major spiritual warfare. And, oh, you, 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 know, just, you, know, you know what? Don't pray for me. I'm so hardcore. Don't pray for me. Pray for them. Pray for them. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, you see the Christian guy. He's cussing the guy out. Or, you know, 15 minutes later, and that's a, they're about ready to fight. They're about ready to, you know, have a fist fight. Listen. They might have a sword, but they know not how to use such a sword. Because wielding this sword, which is the word of God, has a very specific formula. The young can wield it. The old can wield it. Male, female can wield it. But first, you and me, we must yield to it. We must yield in order to wield. Look at verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him. Now remember, the 300 were divided into, into companies. So Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. I love this so much. I love this so much. You know what this is? Night ops. Night ops. Night time's the right time. At the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. So the Midianite camp, what did they do? They post their watch. It's nighttime. They post their camp. And what happens? It's go time. It's go time. Straight up, it's go time. Just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Notice in verse 20. And then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke, you know, trumpets is a shofar. They blew the, their shofar and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. You see, the light, it was hidden for the moment, but now it's exposed. Now it's exposed. And notice what happens here. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Look what happens in verse 21. And every man stood in his place. Now, remember the water when they were drinking. Standing was a common virtue among these particular fighters. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army, or translates in the Hebrew as the whole encampment. What do they do? What do they do? And the whole army, or the whole encampment, ran and cried out and fled. Whoa. Verse 22, when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. No, notice, under this type of delusion, which is from the Lord, what happened? They started to kill each other. You see? Under this type of delusion which is from the Lord, and it is strong. The delusion is strong. Notice what has happened. You have the people of God standing. But then you also see the opposition. They start to kill themselves. They start to kill each other. Remember, their multitudes are like the sand of the seashore countless number of people 
camels, count them. It's multitude upon multitude. And what do you see? God's people standing with their light and their shofar. Notice what happens here, verse 22. And the army fled to Beth Acacia towards Zerara and as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh and pursued the Midianites. Remember, we're, you know, the, 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 the 32,000 that, that turned into 10,000, which turned into 300. Look at how the, the, these beautiful 300. And, you know, they also serve as jumper cables, just as the young servant, just as the young servant, Pura. Again, to my young brothers and my young sisters, let no one despise your youth. They pursue the Midianites in verse 23. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize from them the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. Now remember our study in chapter 6, Israel had become impoverished. They became impoverished. Here in verse 24, then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. And they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeeb, translates in the Hebrew as raven and wolf. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeeb they killed at the winepress of Zeeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. Now, this is kind of, you know, it's kind of an abrupt end here to the chapter. And we're going to end our study here and pick up next week in chapter 8, Lord willing, and see a continuation of what happens. But in closing, we must say, observe Israel according to the flesh. According to the flesh, observe Israel. And also in closing, I'll echo the words of my beautiful, beautiful brother Paul. Where he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.